0: This podcast was originally recorded as a video. For the full viewing experience, please visit us at instituteofcatholicculture.org. Blessed is our God at all times, both now and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen. Heavenly King, Consoler, Spirit of Truth, present in all places and filling all things, the treasury of blessings and the giver of life, come and dwell within us, cleanse us of all stain and save our souls, O good one. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit amen amen welcome back uh, to everyone for our 18th sunday in ordinary time annie mitchell how are you doing today
1: i am doing great father hezekiah good to see you how are you
0: good to see you too good good we're gonna jump into ecclesiastes today as well as a number of other passages so let's go ahead and do it give us the passages for this sunday
1: yeah get out your notebooks and your bibles and here are the readings that we oh good you have your bible
0: I did. I I brought my Bible. I was sometimes forget, but yeah. I got mine too. There you go. I'm
1: ready to go. Ready to go. All right. The first reading for the 18th Sunday in ordinary time comes from Ecclesiastes, chapter 1, verse 2. And then we skip down to chapter 2, verses 21 through 23. Our responsorial psalm for this weekend comes from Psalm 90. The gospel is Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21, and our epistle is from St. Paul's letter to the Colossians, chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, and then verses 9 through 11. So we're going to start in Ecclesiastes.
0: Yes, let's start in Ecclesiastes, and um, well, let's go ahead and have the reading, and then we'll talk about it.
1: Okay, that sounds great. Good. Vanity of vanities, says Kahaleth, vanity of vanities, all things are vanity. Here is one who has labored with wisdom and knowledge and skill, and yet to another who has not labored over it, he must leave property. This also is vanity and a great misfortune. For what profit comes to man from all the toil and anxiety of heart with which he has labored under the sun all his days sorrow and grief are his occupation even at night his mind is not at rest this also is vanity
0: mm, i think lovely. a lot of people might identify very exciting this, <laughs> this is a very exciting sunday yes very uplifting <laughs>
1: For real, for real. Now, I was actually reading, Father, that this is the only Sunday or holy day on the church calendar that we actually get a reading from the book of Ecclesiastes. Yeah. So I think that's interesting. So this is our one opportunity to talk about it. Can you tell us about the book of Ecclesiastes first?
0: Sure. And I'm going to give you a resource because, you know, one of these things I love to do in this Bible study is Sunday golf reflection with everyone is to do what you would want to do because you know when we bring in these really smart guys and they know everything then you know they're like oh of course well guess what a lot of times that information is not all that of course to most of us so as not the the, you know you whatever i'm i know a couple things about the bible but only because i do the the work that's necessary to do it to find out, so a lot of times I don't even remember, I haven't looked at Ecclesiastes in a while, I wanted to go back and do a little research. So I'm going to give you a resource for a book that I have held on to for quite a while. Um, there's different editions of this book, but it's a it really is a handy little tool to have in your arsenal, and that is Antonio Fuentes's A Guide to the Bible. Now, this cover, I used to have one that was just a purple cover. This was maybe a later edition that I I ordered. Say
1: not that I should be judging books by their cover, but I would not be picking up a guide to a Bible that looked like this
0: cover, yes,
1: unless I had it on your recommendation.
0: (laughs) Yes, but I'm going to be on recommendation. What what is Antonio Fuentes's Guide to the Bible? And I'm going to spell that out: F U E N T E S. Antonio Fuentes a guide to the Bible you're going to get it as a used copy, probably, you know, anyways, it's a lovely little um, summary or introduction to each book of the Bible. And it's a, it's just a great resource because, you know, a lot of times you open up a book and you're like, I wish I remember what this is all about. So I oftentimes will open this because, you know, my mind is not what I wish it was my memory and so forth. It's a nice little opportunity to kind of do a quick little review of the book itself. And this is exactly what I did in preparation to being with you guys today. To, today because the, to be honest with you, I opened it up and I was like, yeah, Ecclesiastes church book, it was read in the community as a, one of the of the part of the wisdom literature, similar with like Sirach and other things during the time, the post-Babylonian exile time. That, this was kind of the ideas floating around in my mind, but I want to go back because I also remembered it was some debate as to its authorship. And that debate comes in here in the first verses of the book. This is why you have to have your Bible open. Chapter 1, verse 1. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king of Jerusalem. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. Okay, so who's the preacher? Well, he's apparently the son of David. Apparently it's Solomon who's writing this book but that point is under debate for a couple of reasons so I'm going to come back to that in a second and talk about this um this this word preacher here because in the in the um New American uh Bible I was
1: gonna ask right which is is
0: where the USCCB draws from for the readings which the translation the New American eh, is okay in this case it's actually helpful Listen. This is another principle, and our whole point of doing these Bible studies again is is not necessarily you know do a beautiful exegesis of the text, but give you the tools you need. That's my goal in the in doing these, because you know you're going to get a beautiful exegesis of the text, hopefully in your in your in your by your your pastor you preaching this Sunday, but I want you to have the tools. So what are those tools? Number one is have multiple versions of your Bible available to you at all times. You know, it's oftentimes I'll have three or four because why because I don't know Hebrew and I really don't know Greek not well enough to really do exeg- you know, good exegesis so by using multiple versions of the English text I can usually start to discover well what's going on here there's something some translation issue if, if different translations are translated in different ways and because of that I can hone my vision to one or two words and I can focus upon those words and say what is being said here and then do the research of those two words so the one or two words and this is a good example Chapter one, verse one of Ecclesiastes, the word, the words of the preacher, the son of David, King of Jerusalem, Vanity and Vanity says the preacher, which is the first verse that we have in our reading, verse two. Vanity and Vanity says, Koheleth. The preacher, Koheleth. And then I see that the title of my book is Ecclesiastes. It's neither preacher nor Koheleth. Or, well, but actually it says in my RSV, Ecclesiastes or the preacher. So what's going on here? Well, this is why you're in Sunday Gospel Reflection, so that I can help you a little bit. And this is what Antonio Fuentes is very helpful. Listen to what he says. It takes its name from the Greek translation of the Hebrew word Koheleth at the start of the book. I'm going to stop for a second. There's another... Uh, person who tends well or even actually we see other ecclesiastical authorities also doing this in which the name of their letter or book is the first primary word in their writing who writes like that Annie? the pope does why does the pope write like this so yeah deus caritas est Yeah? yeah well guess what it's that phrase is the first phrase of the of the of, the, of the, his encyclical letter and so forth oftentimes the church will use this practice that is the first big major word in the document is the title of the document because that's the ancient way in which the scriptures were written and the church saw itself in its writing in its magisterial authority in its teaching as continuing on the teaching ministry of god as found in sacred scripture and so this practice continues today okay so there it is so the book of genesis in the beginning yeah or the book of exodus same thing okay so actually the book of exodus the ancient name before it was shem because the first few words of the book it says the name these are the names of those who went into Egypt. Okay. Nevertheless, that's the point is it oftentimes drawn from the first few words. And here we have it, the words of the Koheleth. Yeah. Well, what's a Koheleth? (laughs) Okay. Well, it's a way of, of identifying the one who addresses the kahal or the assembly, or as we would translate today, church. Now I'm going to keep bringing it Fuentes, and I'm going to draw a little bit more on that point. It's very important. Okay. The words of the preacher. Okay, the name takes from the Greek translation of the Hebrew word Koheleth at the start of the book. Uh, the words of the preacher or Koheleth, the son of David, king of Jerusalem. Koheleth is not a proper name. It describes the position of the one who speaks to the kahal. Okay, the assembly in Hebrew. It's the assembler. Yeah. Yeah they say preacher but that's a, our way of saying the guy who addresses the assembly is the preacher or the homilist right but really it's the assembly or addresser guy you know the kohaleth who addresses the call the orator and, and what's important about this is at least from my perspective is that the when we translate the word kohal from hebrew into greek the greek word used to translate kahal assembly is ecclesia ah the I've ecclesia before. yeah which which comes to us in english as church. church okay so you could we could then say okay well the preacher is really the churcher huh. he's the church guy who is telling the church the assembly What's going on? Yeah. And that's what's going on here in Ecclesiastes, the person addressing the assembly of God's people. So wait a minute. Why is it, Why am I interested in this? Because we need to understand the term church is not a New Testament term. It is an Old Testament term for the assembly of God's people. We've talked about this a lot about the assembly of God's people in the image and likeness of God, who is an assembly of persons, the eternal church, as St. Porfirio says. Yeah, And that church is now revealed on earth, initially in the Garden of Eden, in relation to Adam and Eve, or at least intended to be, and then reestablished by God through Abraham, who is to be a blessing to the nations, nations are to gather around him, and incarnated. At the time of David and Solomon, when God's people come out of Egypt are no longer in slavery and can now in freedom form the kingdom of God on earth, the Davidic kingdom. And who addresses this kingdom? The king. The king. And what does the king say? It's all vanity. Well, why does he say it's all vanity? Okay, now this is important because... Your Jehovah's Witnesses will knock on your door and make use of texts like this in the Old Testament in which there appears to be an understanding that man is but, what, grass that that grows one day and withers and dies the next. And it's all vanity, yeah? and there's no afterlife which is why the jehovah's witnesses will use old testament verses not necessary from this book to make this point that we are all you know jehovah god makes us all dust turns us all to dust yeah and then we don't we cease to exist which is what the Jehovah's witnesses believe they don't believe in the afterlife at least upon bodily death they believe you cease wow. to exist yeah and you'll only come back to life in this in the at this at the at the second coming anyways um the the forget about the jehovah's witnesses and focus on this because now we have a question who's the writer you cannot know a text understand text unless you know who's writing it and to whom he's writing yes right and here it identifies solomon but fuentes is going to go on to say this the teaching given in the book and its use of numerous aramaicisms and late Hebrew expressions, you know, idioms are proper to the Hebrew language, but later on, right? So they know you can look at the Hebrew language and see its development, just like the English language changes. They can say, hey, that phrase isn't really used in the way that the Jews spoke until really post-Babylonian time period, maybe, maybe 300, 200 years before the coming of Christ. And that and that means he goes on to say that means that it cannot be dated prior to the exile uh, uh, in Babylon. All the indications are that it was given its final form in between two fifty and two hundred BC. Well, that's fine, but I want to just warn everyone that that doesn't mean that it's not Solomon writing or that it's not primarily Solomon writing. Oftentimes, books like Sirach or uh, or in this case Ecclesiastes were preached in a way. Last week, we talked about the rabbi teaching the Our Father, right? Jesus teaching our Father. He's not exactly saying the words the way we know it. Well, because he was teaching, he wasn't writing. And so, oftentimes, things will be written down or come to their final form later in the way we receive it later than its initial form given, which was given in a vocal manner. Yeah. Or maybe it was written down and updated or edited later right and we i mean look do we not see this even right now in the word preacher yeah the word isn't preacher but yet it's translated preacher because it's what it means but they wouldn't have said it that way they used another word that was a little bit more awkward for us today which is churcher or assembly or or whatever you want to say so so going back i want to point out one one passage for you and that's in the book of um deuteronomy just d- makes a similar point deuteronomy is traditionally attributed to moses yeah Wim. but deuteronomy chapter 34 are you with me deuteronomy chapter 34 anyway what's that
1: i said i'm getting there anyway hurry any hurry everybody! i was Let's not go. expecting to be told to go to deuteronomy i gotta flip back
0: deuteronomy chapter chapter 34
1: go ahead i'll get there
0: no i'm gonna wait for you chapter 34 verse 1
1: all right i'm at 30. genesis
0: exodus leviticus numbers deuteronomy there it is chapter 34 yep verse 1 and moses went up from the plains of moab to mount nebo to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho, and the Lord showed him all the land of Gilead, as far as Dan, and so forth and so forth. Verse five. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord, and he and he buried him in the valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor.
1: Wow, he's written this from the grave.
0: <laughs> he was a very prophetic man. Yes,
1: impressive.
0: What I love most about this is verse nine and following. And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands upon him. So the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. And there was not arisen a prophet since Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and wonders which the Lord. Okay, and Moses wrote about himself. He's like, yes. Well, now, it's possible. I have no problem with Moses writing about his own death. (laughs) I mean, you know, he's Moses. However, (laughs) however common sense would say that no this is not written by moses does that mean the whole book of deuteronomy was not written by moses no it means that there was an addition to the book given probably by joshua yeah or by the followers of joshua the next generation whatever the case may be even though there are Aramaicisms or late Hebrew idioms or ways of speech in Ecclesiastes does not discount the fact that it was fundamentally written by, or at least spoken by, Solomon himself, which helps us understand the book. And I, I know, Annie, you're not getting any questions in here, but I'm still on a, I still have to make my final point. Yeah. And that is, you have to know the author. So let's go back for a moment to 2nd kings okay so go back with me very quickly 1st kings chapter 10 verse I'll just grab a couple of verses just to show make the point 1st kings chapter 10 verse 23 okay thus king solomon excelled all the kings of the earth in riches and and in wisdom yeah yeah Verse 28, and Solomon imported horses from Egypt. Yeah, I could do my other passages, but the point of the whole section is that this guy's loaded. He's the most powerful king on earth at the time. He has everything going for him. And yet he falls prey to all of this. Yeah and in chapter 11 verse 1 it says now King Solomon loved many foreign women the daughters of Pharaoh and the Moabites the Amorites the Edomites the Sidonites, the Hittites the women from all the nations concerning which Lord is so you shall not enter into marriage with them neither shall they with you if you want to do a little background research so that you understand why first Kings is being written and mentioning the things it's mentioning especially about courses from Egypt go back and read Deuteronomy chapter 17. Especially verse 17, because it warns about this happening to the kings of Israel. And if it happens, the Lord warns other bad things are coming. And so here it is verse. Boy, did they. (laughs) Verse. uh, um well from verse two from the nation's concern which the lord had said you shall not enter into marriage with them neither shall you whatever surely you will turn their hearts away after other gods solomon clung to these in love verse three he had 700 wives princesses and 300 concubines and the wives he turned away his heart for when solomon was old his wives turned away his heart after other gods now oh, boy and verse seven then solomon built a high place for chemosh the abomination of the moabites and Molech, the abomination of the amorites and on the mountain east of jerusalem on the mount of olives and uh, and so here we are we have the temple solomon builds in jerusalem and across and the valley this. and if anybody's been to jerusalem with me it's not that far the kidron valley is just like a little it's a little you know it's a, a little drainage ditch yeah and and but the hill is a little steep right there so you're 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 literally face to face with it you step out of the temple in Jerusalem and you are face to face with altars built to false pagan gods where child sacrifice is taking place as well as other abominations yeah Solomon ends up in the later years of his life in a major internal struggle in fact it says in verse 20 sorry chapter 11 verse 28 this is first Kings chapter verse 28 the man Jeroboam was very able when Solomon saw that the young man was industrious he gave him charge over the forced labor of the house of Joseph <clears throat> hello Solomon enslaved Joseph's sons of all people right Joseph is the one that gets sold into slavery in Egypt yeah. and his brothers end up in slavery because of that sin now Solomon is going to enslave his brother what's going to happen to the sons of Solomon They're going to end up in slavery. They're about to be taken off to Babylon. Right. And so the disaster, which is the Babylon exile is right here. And the foundation for the book of Ecclesiastes is right here because as Solomon gets older, he says, what's it all about? I had everything. I had, um, I had, uh, money. I had women. I had horses. I, you know, translate, you know, Ferraris and Lamborghinis, uh, I had uh, everything I wanted. I had everything, the queen of Sheba came to me, I mean. And she was impressed, yeah. Yeah, and um, apparently by more than one thing, yeah. It's not a pretty situation. And so Solomon's in his, his last years and, his, and his, whole, his whole empire, what he's built is in an earthquake and he says, look at this, everything, it's all vanity, and writes this book of Ecclesiastes, and that's important as you read through it, you have to read through it as the man who's struggling, who's groaning in his heart. What's this all about? What's this life I've been given all about? Why, Lord? What is the purpose of all of this? And so he he very much kind of waxes and wanes eloquently from the groaning of his heart and some things he says sound ridiculous or they sound excessive because they are you know when when you lose a loved one and you become distraught by it isn't this kind of oftentimes what happens we we become well distraught and and you 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 react to it in a way that is that maybe someone who's not going through it says, "Oh man, he's gone way overboard, right? He's he's it's, it shouldn't have pushed him that far, but it did." Because yeah, I was going to
1: ask, how can all things be vanity?
0: But, yeah, well,
1: I mean, you're explaining look, it,
0: but let take a look at chapter two, verse twenty-four. And know, again, the in the intern, the angst of the man. Chapter two, verse twenty-four. There is nothing better for a man than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God, for apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the man who pleases him, God gives wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he gives the work of gathering and heaping, only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity in the striving after wind. Yeah. So it's, it's not as though, so sometimes when you're reading, it sounds like even wisdom itself is vanity. But here he says, no, but wisdom is given by God and true joy is given by God. Yeah. But of course there's wisdom and there's wisdom, right? There's the wisdom of the wise of this earth, right? The philosophers and the guys sitting on the corner drinking coffee and, you know, and so forth and then there's real wisdom yeah which is given to us by God and this is the struggle the internal struggle of the man Solomon and that's why I I I, really spend a lot of time on this but it's so important because we don't want to just take this out of context you got to have the man speak to you and that man is Solomon in the struggles of life which so many of us face
1: Oh, I was going to say that part about even at night, his mind is not at rest. How many of us struggle with that? Can't sleep because we got too much going through our heads.
0: Yeah. Listen to St. Augustine. He says, if it is a vain thing to do good works for the sake of human praise, how much more vain for the sake of getting money or increasing it or retaining it or any other temporal advantage which comes unto us from without. Since all things are vanity, what is man's abundance? with all his toil wherein he labors under the sun for our temporal welfare itself finally we ought not to do our good works but rather this for the sake of that everlasting welfare which we hope for where we may enjoy unchangeable good for we shall have from god nay what god himself is unto us for if god's saints were to do good works for the sake of this temporal welfare never would the martyrs of Christ achieve a good work, right? Never would they have actually ended up giving their life for something which is beyond themselves. So Ecclesiastes has this aspect to it. And it's a—it's just a, I think today in our current environment, which is a, a kind of, it's a post-Christian world, but it's got all sorts of Christian values that are surrounding us. We, we understand this. We understand it, but we don't live it. And that's what, the church places before us today with a real challenge to say, Where are your priorities? Where have you placed the value of your life? Where is the gold and treasure of your life? Because it's all going away. You're a rich man, poor man, you're going to lie side by side in the grave. And the only thing left to you will be what is la- a lasting treasure. while well, the things of this world rust away? We know that. But do we live it? Yeah. Because Right now, we're, we're going to, well, not right now, we're going to look at the psalm, but we're going to look at the gospel. And we're going to journey with the apostles to Jerusalem who are asking this very question, right? We talked last week about Martha and Mary and about Martha being anxious about many things. That's Solomon, yeah, yeah? who's seeking the most important things. And, and yet there's the internal struggle of man. And that's yeah. what the church says, struggle. Yeah. And place those most important things, in the highest priority of your life. Let's take a look at the rest of the text,
1: which I think is possibly why the response, the response that we will be singing is mm. if today you hear his voice hard and not your heart, because this there... is such an easy message to harden your heart against.
0: Yeah. And there may not be a tomorrow. Yeah, there may not be a tomorrow. So what are you doing today? with your life what is so the church places this before us again in this pentecost season in which there's a real internal struggle about living the life christ has given us yeah we may have been on fire at pentecost and come out of jerusalem on fire we may have wanted to do all sorts of good things for the lord and go out and spread the word but now we're settling into the summer months of like the dog days right yeah in which you know what that vacation and that margarita just are just so tempting. Yeah. And I don't really have to go to church on Sunday, especially if I'm traveling, because I'm traveling. And now all the excuses start to creep into the church. And 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 there's a, a big warning for us, I think, both in the context of the gospel and the context of the early church post-Pentecost season, and now in the life of the church today during these summer months.
1: Yeah. Well, shall we uh, move on to the gospel, which really continues on in this theme?
0: Yeah, I would just I just repeat that responsorial psalm for you, Psalm ninety. If today you hear His voice, harden not your hearts. Today is the day, my brothers and sisters, to allow the Lord to speak to you and to begin that reformation of your life. What is begun before, renew again today. Go ahead, Danny.
1: All right, Luke chapter 12 is our gospel this weekend, and we are starting in verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to share the inheritance with me. He replied to him, Friend, who appointed me as your judge and arbitrator? Then he said to the crowd, Take care to guard against all greed. For though one may be rich, one's life does not consist of possessions. Then he told them a parable. There was a rich man whose land land produced a bountiful harvest. He asked himself, what shall I do? For I do not have space to store my harvest. And he said, this is what I shall do. I shall tear down my barns and build larger ones there I shall store all my grain and other goods and I shall say to myself now as for you, you have so many good things stored up for many years rest eat drink and be merry, but God said to him you fool this night, your life will be demanded of you and the things you have prepared to whom will they belong? Thus it will be for all who store up treasure for themselves, but are not rich in what matters to God. Hmm. Whew. That's, um, first of all, can I just say, like, I would hate to be that guy that was like, hey, tell my brother, <laughs> like, can you imagine being the person right. that, that prompted this parable? Yeah.
0: Well, I have right. to tell you that it's not just this man that prompted the the parable. Well, sure, of course, it's the it's the godforsaken Jews who are walking around with Jesus for three years, <laughs> and then the you know highlighted by the by the Pharisees of what what's going on, right? We talked about this too many times of the conversation behind the conversation, right? And and so Jesus oftentimes makes use of. Little conversations going on. He hears all things. He knows all things, right? So he pulls out from the crowd certain. I mean, I you know, I think my boys would be over there. <laughs> I know what they're talking. To. I know what they're saying. I may not know every word they're saying, but I know what they're, what they're saying, right? Hey, come here. Say that. What did you just say? It's a conversation you just had. Say it out loud. Why? Because I want them to voice openly for the whole family, what they're saying so that we can highlight that as a learning lesson for all of us, because that conversation is going on in a bigger realm in our world, yeah? yeah. And that's what's going on. So we don't, you know, we did this every single week for the last like two months, which is we say, Jesus on the way to Jerusalem in the electionary cycle, in the gospel of Luke, that's what's going on. And there's been this theme, as I mentioned just a few minutes ago, in which two things going on is that the conversation behind the scene is Jesus making his way to his passion and then his teaching to his disciples because of what's coming. So he's condemning what he's seeing around him for the sake of those that are actually faithful to him. And that's why he pulls this conversation out and why Luke highlights it regarding this guy, because remember in our study of, of Luke over we've had the guy who said, let me go bury my father. And Jesus says, let, let the, de- the dead bury the dead, right? He said, leave. It's time to go. You've had three years to take care of these earthly things. We're going to now talk about more important things. That's what Solomon is facing at the end of his life. He's asking himself the question, all of this, it's all going to be given. Who's it going to go to? Well, who's Solomon's son? That's what the, the Old Testament reading is all about. What I what I made and what I built is going to go to somebody I don't even know who they are.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. And the inher- that inheritance conversation. I'm sorry, I was reading all of Ecclesiastes. Doesn't it come up under this thing? The prophet comes to twenty days, which is the labor of his son, all his days sorrow. It's not highlighted in the text, which is unfortunate. We have to go back. We have to go back to Ecclesiastes for a moment. Yeah. Turn your Bibles back there. Okay. Again, right after you just find the wisdom literature, right for Psalms, mm-hmm. Proverbs, yeah. Ecclesiastes, and I'm just gonna scroll. He's he's talking about as the sun rises, the wind blows, da 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 da. What has been a new of the sun, Her wisdom. It's right here in the text, in which it talks about what has been done is given to the next generation who has not worked for it that's what i'm looking for it's right here i'm not gonna chapter one ecclesiastes chapter one chapter two you read it
1: well it's yeah it's in the reading here he here is one who has labored with wisdom and knowledge and skill and yet to another who has not is. labored over it he must leave his property that's uh that's it, chapter that's it. Two, so, verse
0: 21. So, so do you see the church is bringing these two things together for us okay yeah. that's my that's my point okay and now and so now here we are in the gospel of of luke in which there's this guy who's struggling over the very things Solomon's struggling over, has been struggling over, which is, all these things I have, they're going to be given to another. Well, if you go back to 1 Kings, and we're not gonna go back there again, but I mentioned in that verse from, about Jeroboam, yeah. because Solomon's son, whose name is Rehoboam, not Jeroboam, Heroboam. Rehoboam, is a complete disaster. <laughs> he is going to cause the schism, the division of the kingdom of David, which will end up in the Babylonian exile, okay? Solomon's son is a complete disaster. And you can read that in that chapter in the, in the following chapter when the schism takes place. So now Solomon's struggling with this thing. Here, this guy in the gospel is also struggling with his inheritance. And the same question comes up. He's, they're leaving Galilee behind them. They're leaving their families. And where are they going? They're going to certain death. And the apostles are going, who's going to get my boat?
1: Yeah.
0: What about my family's home in Capernaum? Peter's saying, right? Who's going to get all this stuff? We're all dying. We're all going to die. What was this all about anyways? Vanity of vanities. And Jesus is able to now draw them out in this context in the conversation going on. And I'll just point out to you that broader conversation going on verse chapter chapter 11 verse 33 No one after lighting a lamp puts it under a in, a in a cellar under a bushel but on a stand that that those who enter may see the light Your eye is the lamp of your body when your eye is sound your whole body is full of light when it is not sound your body is full of darkness therefore he be careful lest the light in you be darkness If then your whole body is full of light have no part in the darkness it will be wholly bright, and when a lamp with its rays gives you light, and as when a lamp gives you light. While he was speaking, a Pharisee asked him. Okay, and then it goes on, verse forty-two. Woe to you, Pharisees! You tithe mint and rue and every herb, and neglect justice and the love of God. Verse forty-five. One of the lawyers and teacher in saying this you reproach us also he says woe to you lawyers (laughs) so what's going on around him are these pharisees and these lawyers and all these guys and who are these these guys are these guys are the 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 upper echelon of society they're not out there tilling the field they're hanging out listening to jesus on the afternoon yeah and they're in the dark corners over here talking and how do i know they're talking look at chapter 11 verse 53. As he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak many things, lying in wait for him, to catch him at something he might say, like a snake, you know, lying in wait for him. And these guys, this is what's going on. And in this nasty context, which Jesus has done all these miracles, and these guys are still plotting his death because they're jealous of him. Now comes forward this guy, for the sake of the disciples who are journeying to Jerusalem, we're struggling and for us all of us now we're all we're all journeying to jerusalem right we're all going to the cross and we have to ask ourselves those important questions that are being asked here in the gospel as to what our big concern is of this life what is most important to us and to put those things into place in a real practical way like the apostles had to right they had to they literally they couldn't just be like oh jesus my boat you know Yes, it's yours, Lord. I'm giving it all up, but I still have it here. No, now they're actually leaving Capernaum and leaving their homes, and it's all gone, and they're heading towards certain death. My brothers and sisters were heading towards certain death yeah,
1: Death and taxes there you go, right yeah um, forgive me for channeling the modern retort to this parable but i think that this will be in the minds of a lot of people yep. when they hear a parable like this even coming from the mouth of our lord himself well what's wrong with saving do i need to get rid of my savings account now father
0: yeah so so the the, the question is how again for the man in in uh in, in ecclesiastes for solomon right he's saying what is the purpose of all of this yeah what is the purpose of all of these things of about created order is is the lord telling us here that that the creation itself is somehow uh, of no value no the fundamental difference is the fundamental difference of which adam and eve approached paradise the tree of knowledge of good and evil the tree of life paradise itself was given to our first parents as a good and yet they received that good, not as a gift. In fact, they didn't receive it, right? What did they do? They took it. And in taking, they used it to their own ends rather than its original purpose. Dislocating it from its source of life, it became death for them. This is the whole purpose of our Lenten journey, of our fasting as Christians, to re-commune the things of this world with their proper source, their beginning and their proper purpose. That's wisdom, right? The knowledge of of the causes of things, the beginning and the end. To say, I realize that all of this is a gift from God and my proper response is to say, thank you. And then to make use of these gifts as they were intended. yeah, For the sake of the building up of the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of man, Solomon. That's why you were given as a light to the nations. Not as a light to yourself, how dare you enslave your brother for you will be the purpose of the purpose of your existence is to grant freedom to your brother. Okay, and then, of course, we can apply this to our life as well, I have quotations from the church fathers Saint Augustine the redemption of a man's soul is his riches. This silly fool of a man did not have the kind that kind of riches obviously he was not redeeming his soul by giving relief to the poor he was hoarding perishable crops i repeat he was hoarding perishable crops while he was on the point of perishing because he had handed out nothing to the lord before whom he was due to appear how will he know where to look When at that trial, he starts hearing the words, I was hungry and you did not give me to eat. And so this places us in a more fundamental, catechetical, moral place. And that is to understand the nature of sin and to understand the purpose of all of these things. We are made in the image and likeness of God who is love. This man, the one who built all the barns in the gospel is all about me first versus the man who is all about the other first mm. of course god our heavenly father is all about the other first because he's poured out his life to the son the holy spirit for eternity how many times have i said this our salvation is a matter of living god's way of life instead of a me firstness the other firstness the lord first and my love for my brother in relationship to my love for the Lord. Why? Because I come to know who I am by this relationship of love with the Lord. And this becomes very practical. And I I, I do have to do an aside here, Annie, if you don't mind, regarding the biggest struggle that we face in our American society, or for those that are not in America, for our modern society, whether it be in Europe or wherever you're participating from, because it's all about money. It's all about money and the bigger my retirement savings for me is the most important thing. And at the end of the day, my brothers and sisters, we will be left very much like Solomon was left in his later years and say, really? Because ultimately these things will never satisfy us. This is why, and this is why my is, this is why tithing is so critically important to the spiritual life. Now, you're, I just lost half my audience because when a priest says the word tithe, people shut their ears. I encourage you, if you're a part of the chosen few that remain with us at this point in this study, listen. Because it's not my teaching, is the teachings of sacred scripture. Tithing means giving 10% of what you have. In the, old, in, the, in the ancient world, that meant your firstborn lamb. It meant your first loaf of bread. It meant the first harvest of your grapes. In the modern world, that means the first portion of your income. You make $100, 10%. Tithe, the word tithe means 10%. Tithe, 10% of it is to be given to the Lord. And I want to ask you to turn with me very quickly to the book of of uh, Malachi the book of Malachi is just before the book of Maccabees and here's what's going on in the book of Malachi is that there's they're not tithing they're doing a fake tithe right the Jews come back from Babylon and they're 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 given all this gold by Cyrus by the Persian king and they come back with all the gold to build the temple and they don't build the temple they worried themselves about their own homes and when it does finally come time, they build the temple and offer sacrifice. They give to the Lord what's left over rather than what's first, right? Rather than the tithe. And you can see that here in chapter one, verse eight. And so, well, you go back a few verses and what, what's going on. I'm going to summarize it. They're offering blind animals and like lame animals and sacrifice because they're like, well, I, I, I can't thinking? sell my blind lamb. Nobody wants to buy it from me. So. I'm just gonna give it to the Lord or my sickling. I'm just gonna give it to the Lord. I'm gonna give him what's what's left over. That's the problem, right? This is what happens on Sunday at mass. The thing goes around, right? The basket goes around. I open my wallet. I now I haven't looked. I'm being honest with you. I haven't actually looked on what's in my wallet, but I'm gonna do it now. And I think my wife actually stuck some money in here, but <laughs> not much. Lucky you 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. Now, if I'm your average catholic out there in the pew you i take peel the off four a
1: singles p- and keep the 10.
0: i've actually had people make change for themselves in the collection basket you're yes. kidding me this is what we do right here lord it's what's left over you want to know what the lord thinks of that read malachi chapter one and two mm-hmm. and what does he say in chapter two verse 10 malachi chapter two verse 10 Bring the full tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you an overflowing blessing, my brothers and sisters, test the Lord. He told you to do it. Put him to the test. And see if the world isn't wrong for telling you that the most important thing is what you put into your 401k every month. The most important thing is that you tithe and you say, well, I don't know, 10%. uh, Do I really have to do that? Is that really a, that's an Old Testament thing. Yeah, you're right. In the Old Testament, they gave 10%. In the New Testament, it's 100%. My whole life is the Lord's. Everything I do, my work, my car, my house, everything is for the sake of the Lord, is for his ministry. And I am, I am making use of it for that purpose. You are sent to your work, not to make money You're sent to your work to make Christians. Yes. We tithe 10% as a token to the Lord that we recognize that 100% of what we have is his. If you haven't been in the practice of tithing, my brothers and sisters, do you want to see the heavens open and every blessing rain down upon you? Maybe not as the world would say the blessings are, but if you want to discover authentic happiness in the way of the Lord, it's here. 10%, do it. You say you can't do it. We'll start with 1%. Hmm? You make 50000 a year, 1%. You make whatever it is, okay? Start with 2%, maybe 5%. Can you do that? 6%, can you build each month or maybe year after year until you get to 10% or maybe, maybe you can go further. The 10% is the foundation. And upon that, I then give my charity. Yeah. I encourage you seriously to take this gospel to heart on the way to Jerusalem to ask you what your priorities of your life are and whether you've allowed the vain things of this world to become vain for you or have they become as they were meant to be an opportunity of giving. The Lord has given so much into our hands so that we might do with it what he has done for us in bestowing it upon us we are to bestow upon others and then begin to live that self-giving life for others and discover in that the kingdom of God a shared relationship of persons who are made one by love as god is one and a trinity of persons can
1: i have you comment to go a little bit further because this was actually a conversation that i was just having on the radio yeah. show um with matt Swain. we were talking about tithing and um and and matt made the comment you know like if you're somebody that's worried about like what am i gonna do if i you know, if something happens, you know, whatever. And we we were talking about giving to the church so that the church can then serve the poor, those who need it. We were talking particularly about women in crisis pregnancies Mm. in light of Roe v. Wade being overturned. And he said, well, then you go to the church and ask the church to take care of you. And I said, you know what, you're right, because this is what Father Hezekiah says all the time. Your home is your church,
0: not your house. Yeah, you know, and don't think of the church as this thing out there. It's yeah. going to take care of you. It's a communion Everyone. of persons. This is our, I'm in, I'm in need constantly. It may not be a financial need today, but it might be a financial need tomorrow. Uh, And this is why it's important in our communities that we begin to live together again so that we're sharing all things in common. Yes, to share all things in common, to to discover life within the church again, within the assembly, a communion of persons. Yeah, and then to allow our churcher, (laughs) a preacher, our assemblier to share these truths with us, to say, hey, you see all that you're holding back? Make it part of this and don't you have an opportunity to share what you have? That is the greatest of joys. Don't hold it back, don't be stingy with it. How do you think it is that we built the cathedrals in Burgos and Rome and Venice by the poor people because they gave 10% of their and more? They picked up rocks and carried them and they yeah. built these massive, unbelievable sanctuaries and temples. Today we can hardly put drywall up and tile on our floors to build a church because of this a modern American fall that we're experiencing, in which it's all about me first. Until we begin to live that, we will not see the glory of God revealed again on earth.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: and yeah, Annie, we got to get coming to out.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, in a great assembler, a great churcher, St. Paul. who who tells us in the epistle to put to death the parts of us that are earthly.
0: Yeah. Let's read it. Colossians chapter three, verses one through five, and then nine through 11.
1: Brothers and sisters, if you were raised with Christ, seek what is above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Think of what is above, not of what is on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ your life appears, then you too will appear with him in glory put to death, then the parts of you that are earthly immorality impurity passion evil desire and the greed, that is idolatry. Stop lying to one another, since you have taken off the old self with its practices and put on the new self which is being renewed for knowledge in the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all, and yeah. in all.
0: Saint Augustine says that our sins weigh us down, and we become like like animals. Okay, I think I think it is. Um, I think Socrates says the same thing about the passions, right? Yeah, yeah. Become, we're way down and we, we're unable to look up to see the things above. And so we become focused totally upon the things of this earth. A very beautiful St. Athanasius. This is why, This is why the Lord was born in a stable, in a feeding trough of animals. So that we who are bowed down and looking at the things of the earth and feeding upon the things of this world, would come to graze upon him. And in coming to feed upon him, he would raise our, our eyes up to heaven once again and see the things which are above. My brothers and sisters, stand up and see the things which are above and then set your priorities of your life there. Yeah? Make the preaching of the kingdom, the establishment of the kingdom, the most important thing, the worship of God and the Holy Trinity and the love of neighbor is a result of that restore our kaha, our, our assemblies, our, our, our churches, to be a reflection of the life of the Holy Trinity. To Christ our God be glory both now and ever and into ages of ages. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Institute of Catholic Culture's Sunday Gospel Reflections podcast. The Institute of Catholic Culture is an adult catechetical organization dedicated to the re-evangelization of our society through educational and cultural programs offered to the public at no charge. I invite you to explore all we have to offer, including over 900 hours of on-demand catechetical opportunities, and sign up for our upcoming events by visiting instituteofcatholicculture.org.